You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, uh, and I am here with my buddy, Dan. Hi, how's it going? Jason is out for today. Unfortunately, work came calling. We all hate it when real life gets in the way. However, we have replaced Jason this week with a special guest, Dan Herrera. Dan, how you doing? Hey, folks. I'm doing pretty good. So we've got two Dans on the podcast tonight. So for clarity, our regular Dan is going to be Dan P. You're going to be Dan H. Does <laughs> that, that work? for me. Yeah. We slowly Every... need... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Every Dan has had that problem at least a dozen times. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dan, what we have to do is slowly replace every other host with the, with another host named Dan. So <laughs> there Justin, you go. you're on the list. We got There's the crosshairs on you. We got to find a Dan to take you over. The triple D threat. Yeah. So uh, Dan H, you are uh, the owner of the Salty Sea podcast, or sorry, a YouTube channel, uh, which could be a podcast if you turn it that way, but it is a YouTube channel. And uh, your content recently has been primarily Warcry, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're very excited to have you on. Why don't you give us a little bit of background about who you are, what you do, that kind of thing. Yeah, so uh, I'm living up in Minnesota in the U.S., and um, I've been into kind of various fantasy nerdery things since I'm tr- I was trying to think about what my origin for it was like probably reading St. George and the Dragon as a little kid I don't nice. know but it really yeah. started um, had to have been like with Final Fantasy Tactics I think that was okay. the first like fa- fantasy video game that really just like grabbed me and wouldn't let go and so uh, yeah I've just been playing those types of games ever since it- and uh, Warcry is the latest it's funny you mentioned um it's funny you mentioned uh final fantasy because one of the earliest rpg games i've ever played was like the original final fantasy on nintendo um and like that was that i i remember thinking like this game is so different than like you know zelda or super mario because it was like like turn-based combat you know thing and you could run into bad guys like 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 Zelda for example. Once you cleared a room, the room was pretty much cleared, right? But like you could like run circles in Final Fantasy and like keep hitting, keep spawning mobs, basically. So. Yeah, the thing that blew me away. So I remember watching a friend play uh, what I thought was Final Fantasy three. Turned out that American FF three is actually Final Fantasy six. But was the <laughs> character designs were just so mm-hmm. different from like the medieval fantasy look that I had seen. It was sort of um, like the Japanese take yeah. on European medieval fantasy, uh, right. and sort of seeing seeing my genre put through kind of a twist lens like that, like you know, really sparked something for me. So I have to ask you: You're up in Minnesota, um, and it gets pretty cold there. And there's a theory that some of the best board gamers, or some of those popular board gamers, come out of the Midwest because it's so cold all the time that you're forced to stay indoors and play games. <laughs> Dan, Dan P, haven't you heard that rumor before? I have. I th- I, it's no mistake that uh, FFG was uh, located in Minnesota, right? Uh-huh. And uh, we do, you know, Gen Con is Lake Geneva, Michigan, right? Well, there's, there's, a, there's the Midwest 
owns gaming to a to I think a stronger degree than I've lived on the West Coast and on the East Coast, and um, I've got to I got to admit the Midwest gets mad props for ex- exceptional gaming in my exactly. opinion. Exactly. So so set us straight, Dan. What do you think? I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the FFG place because they're like general like their center their gaming center is incredible it's huge um they pack the place like you know every two or three weeks i think it's completely packed for for some kind of game or another they don't just run games of their own systems too which i was actually really surprised about um you'd think you know like you would never see a GW store, you know, having, uh, I don't know, like a Kings <laughs> of War tournament or something, right? But like, right. you'll see FFG run, you know, games of other systems. You'll see them run Magic. You'll see them run Pokemon tournaments, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it's they're a really cool sort of piece to have in the community here, for sure. I, you know, that's kind of an interesting take because it's like, What's the threat? You know what I mean? Like, for example, like, if you're going to have a Magic tournament at an FFG place, so they come in, they bring all their cards, they play their Magic, but, like, what's all around them? X-Wing, <laughs> Armada, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, what's that over there? Like, I mean, it's a way to get in and, like, get product in front of people's faces, right? Yeah, I think that's got to be it. Um, and I wonder if maybe that's why the big places don't do Although I guess Magic doesn't even have their own their own stores but like gw doesn't do it i think i don't know maybe yeah if no there's leader, no way gw would any... play like x-wing tournament at their store there's just no way <laughs> yeah no way <laughs> yeah yeah well dan we are happy to have you with us today we're excited to get into war cry there's a lot of really cool stuff that's happening right now with the game and um we're excited to dive into it but Let's get started with our Geek Week, my friend. Why don't you kick it off for us? Uh, yeah, so like I was just talking Magic, and they just put out a new set. So I've been playing that a ton. Um, it's called Crimson Vow. It's a spooky wedding-themed set, um, which pretty what? cool. Yeah. <laughs> wedding? Man, it's, it's about Watsy's hit the weddings. bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so they, you know, they like bring in a new, um, a new plane every, you know, every set, um, and so they're returning to one of their more popular ones, which is their horror plane, and uh, <laughs> I mean, I can't fault you for, um, for saying they've hit <laughs> hit the bottom of the barrel. The last time they went there, uh, it was like Wicker Man folk horror. And nice. before that, it was uh, like Spaghetti Monster Eldritch Horror. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, I think the time before that, it was just like basic uh, demons versus angels. Um, but yeah, now they've gone to uh, all the powerful vampires are all attending the same wedding. And uh, so it's a spooky wedding of all the vampires getting as fancy as they can. That's that's pretty great, and the next set will be, you know, uh, florists from another dimension, and <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, the um, the uh, uh, oh, I just had a thought. It was what one one of the the horror ones that you're talking about, not the spaghetti eldritch horror one. Oh, like the Wicker Man folk horror Wicker kind Man. of thing. Yep. 
please tell me that there was a card with Nick Cage's face on it. Oh my like, God, I, that I would have been <laughs> over the top, the most powerful card you could have gotten, right? right? With him yelling, not the bees! <laughs> right? Like... <laughs> Yeah, classic um, they, Wicker Man reference there. Yep, they leaned harder into the like Midsummer vibe, I guess. Okay, I, I chose okay. Wicker Man. That's another folk horror one, but like it's very Midsummer as well. Um, but oh man, I wish they could just t- put in real actors. That'd be funny. So I know that would be amazing. Like his likeness is on there. Um, okay, so you mentioned Midsummer. We're going off on a tangent here, but I, I have to pull the thread. Have you seen that movie Midsummer? I have not. I'm such a wimp okay. about horror movies that it's I just okay. I left it. Have you seen The Green Knight? No. Oh my god. I want to see that one too. I is it kind of a similar vibe? It's totally a similar vibe and it is maybe the hands down weirdest movie I've ever seen in my life. Like I walked <laughs> out of that movie theater going like I don't know what I just watched. <laughs> like I don't know what I just watched. Like artistically it's one of the most amazing movies i've ever seen like the colors and the cinematography like it is an artsy film right but you're like what did i just watch and like my wife was with me and she's like pretty much like file deleted it out of her brain because she's like (laughs) this is just taking up space that i don't need you know because i'll ask her i was like so what did you think happened like what did you think that they meant like when this thing happened in, in The Green Knight. And she's like, I don't remember seeing that movie. And I'm like, it was like two months ago and you were sitting right next to me. You know? She was on her phone. She was on Facebook. I read it and I still don't. Like, <laughs> I read it and I didn't know what I had just read. So Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's so strange. So anyway, but yeah, it's all that's all done by that A24 studio, right? And the most recent one they came out with was Lamb. Where like the... They, the, the couple that raised sheep wanted a baby and then they found a baby out in the field that a sheep had given birth to and it was a human baby with a lamb head what yeah yeah, dude it is so weird (laughs) watch the trailer and you're just like what am i watching here like what am i watching here it's amazing like yeah yeah it's it's crazy so sorry so sorry i had to pull the thread through I wish Nick Cage was on those uh, on on the Wicker Man cards. That would have probably made me actually go buy a Magic the Gathering deck. But alas, I, I've never actually played the game, so yeah. Oh, uh, we gotta we gotta introduce that to you one of these days. Justin. I know I should. I need to. I need to. I'm, I'm using as an ottoman right now with a foot warmer a big plastic tub full of all the CCGs I own. <laughs> There's MTG in the box. Sorry. Nice. Say Dan H is still in the middle of his geek week. I know. You should give him the the, the invisible microphone. Yes. Sure. So I guess when I haven't been either uh, putting my Warcry stuff together or playing Magic, um, I did start reading Dune. But I think what I want want to talk about is Arcane, which okay. is the League of Legends um, anime that just came out. It's got this like incredibly you know, anime is often like hand drawn, um, or well, not hand drawn, but like made to look very hand drawn with um, mm-hmm. sort of a very ink and color kind of style. Right. And this is made to look painterly. So, like, huh. every scene looks like it's kind of an oil painting, like a digitized oil painting, you know, but uh, with like an oil kind of look to it, uh, which, like, it starts a little off putting and then becomes like truly arresting as as you kind of sink into it um 
the first couple episodes were a little cookie cutter because you know it's league of legends they're the most popular or maybe not the yeah. most popular game but one of the most popular games in the world Right, like esports, e-gamer, all that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, it starts pretty, like, pretty broad, pretty kind of cookie cutter, but then it starts getting into um, a pretty intense story. And by the third episode, I was really gripped, and um, I've seen six of them now. I think the last three come out uh, on Friday, um, so maybe by the time people have seen this, and it's. Yeah, it's really incredible. Apparently, all of these characters are going to eventually evolve into the characters in the game. I oh, don't nice. know who they are, but I think for the hardcore League of Legends fans, they're having a really good time, like, yeah, um, sort of pointing out or sometimes like guessing, like, is this guy um, going to eventually be Warwick? There's a there's a guy who's just like a an old dad man who's like. I spent my life punching things, kids, and you don't want to be punching things when you grow up. And uh, <laughs> a lot of people are speculating which punching-themed thing he'll eventually be. Um, yeah. Because obviously he has to go back to punching things. Right. You can't. Once you start, you can't stop. Right, right, yeah. and it's <laughs> the whole point of League of Legends is punching things. You know, right. we can't have we can't have characters who aren't punching. So I, oh. I looked up uh, I looked it up uh, while you were talking about it and I'm looking at some of the pictures and you're right it definitely looks like it has a an oil painting veil uh, a vibe um, about it and it looks really amazing the the artwork in it yeah yeah I was I think in general with anime that's what attracts me most but that um, yeah, that just like that carried me through the first couple episodes when the story wasn't doing what I wanted it to, and then by the time the story became gripping, yeah, I'm like I'm a hundred percent in now. I'm like waiting patiently by my couch for the next three episodes. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, very good. And you said you just started reading Dune a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I was never into space opera that much as a kid because I was, you know, all about the fantasy stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I watched Star Wars, but it was never really my jam. I didn't really get into it until maybe Guardians of the Galaxy for the first time was the real first time I liked a space opera. Um, the best Star Wars movie ever made was Guardians of the Galaxy 1. In my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, yeah, sure. I, I kind of like that take. Um, so, you know, Dune doesn't have that kind of Star Wars Guardians, like, kind of ha-ha vibe to it, but it's um, it's still, you know, space opera, really, right? It's mm -hmm. not trying to be hard sci-fi, but it's it's just really beautiful. Like, the, the movie, I liked other Denis Villeneuve movies, but... Yeah. Um, this just sort of culminated in what he was doing. Like I liked Blade Runner too, but um, just really visually arresting and actually convinced me to do the audio book for the, uh, the book nice. itself. And it's going to take you like 24 hours to get through the book. Yeah. It's so like, about it's like ridiculously long. Whoa, uh, look at you. Yeah. So <laughs> it's been really fun uh, going through scenes they did in the movie and, kind of imagining it and then getting to a scene that didn't make the movie and then kind of thinking yeah. about why in my head as it as it plays out for me so yeah it's been a good time um i would definitely if you loved the movie i would 
I would suggest giving it a go. Yeah, I I read the book, I mean, years ago, and I probably should have reread it before I went to go see the movie. Um, but fortunately, like the the movie was just so enthralling to me. Uh, you know, my wife thought it was a little slow. You know, and I could see that because there's there's a lot of setup that happens, right? Especially in the beginning. Um, but because I had that even that limited background, um, th- the movie was just absolutely like captivating to me. And I thought, I think that this might be Denny Villeneuve's like piece de resistance. You know what I mean? Like this like might be his like crowning achievement that. Um, that he that he has because he is literally pouring his heart and soul into this and it's showing. So yeah, I, I I we had talked about it on the show and I had tickets for another movie. I totally switched him over to Dune. Oh nice, totally dug it. And I've loved every. I I like even the bad versions of Dune, like I'd mentioned before. But this was the thing that was the closest to anything that that Frank Herbert had done, in my opinion. Um, and the great thing about that universe is, is there's so much runway, but there's mm-hmm. so many books that can just keep going and keep going. And there were other books done by his son and Kevin J. Anderson. And Kevin J. Anderson is a genre writer too. Who, you know, he writes in other people's IPs. Like he did a lot of Star Wars and he did, you know, some Battletech and some Star Trek and stuff like that. And I've met him and he's a really a swell guy. Um, but hardcore Dune fans aren't a big fan of the extra novels that were done by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, but I, mm-hmm. I think they're great and I've gone through all of them. Um, so I, my nerd best case scenario is that Veliview just does the whole thing. He just pulls a total, <laughs> pulls a total <laughs> Peter Jackson and like, doesn't stop. He just is plow through. Just keep, <laughs> keep going. We're behind you for the whole ride. You know, I know that's not going to happen, but you but know what I they may end up doing it. though, is that, I mean, part two may come out, but then I could easily see like HBO green lighting, like a series. I, right? I, a Dune series. If, if the art direction and the acting and the sound, it is a bit of a loud movie. I think watching it at home, you could really control how, how, deep it it runs your uh, subwoofers you know how mm-hmm. how how much bass they just pile into the theater like i watched it at alamo draft house which is a really great theater it's a new movie theater it was only constructed a few years ago and the bass was so deep that they it was rattling ceiling tiles <laughs> i mean what, it um, was it was they they'd really pushed it pushed it to to the rattle point and what did your wife think weird. of it she was pretty cool with it until the 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 nice thing is that the film doesn't back away from the story beats that are in the book, uh-huh. and he's gonna go by the book, and, and and there's kind of a bit of a trough in the story in kind of the last reel of the film, and that's where she kind of kind of floated away. Um, mm. But for the better part of the film, you know that that adrenaline, and I, I gotta admit some of the things that they did, like with the Soda Car Warriors. Yeah. Um, or so great, you know, they, they'd always been really talked up as a big deal. And I'd read about them in the prequel novels and this time they were actually crazy terrifying when you see the blood sacrifice thing that they yes. were doing. Spoiler alert. Anyway, sorry, we're taking over Dan H's geek week again, <laughs> but man, um, 
I, I think do this Dune film is probably one of the best things for that franchise that has probably ever happened besides the book, the original book itself, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I'm actually glad you guys took over for a second because it let me uh, do some quick Google foo. They um, have <laughs> greenlit a prequel series called The Sisterhood that's going to oh, be all nice. about the Benny Gesserit. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I think I think they plan to kind of go full steam ahead and try to make this a full franchise with, you know, different mediums going on at different times. And I mean, if I'm Danny Villeneuve, right? Like I'm looking at this and thinking, like executive producer, executive producer, right? Like where you're kind of giving your art direction and and flavor, you know, to all these, but let some nice upcoming uh, directors really cut their teeth on doing some series shows right yeah because the so. first one's the most important as far as like yep. building the visual language um, oh yeah so now that he's done that you know i think a lot of different directors could take their hand at it and so much of the the really hard work is done for them and the kind of nerd work right like not every not every director is enough of a um saying weirdo in the most loving way but you mm-hmm. know enough of a weirdo to kind of build something like this from scratch yeah. i think uh, there's a lot of people who couldn't build it from scratch, but could do a great job once that part is done for them. So there's a great video on YouTube that I'm going to recommend that you check out, Dan. Um, it is called, um, it's a Vanity Fair, I think, or a Variety uh, like magazine that did an interview with Denny Villeneuve, right? And it's the Gom Jabbar scene. Yeah. And uh, it's him breaking down the Gom Jabbar scene. So he talks about like his choices in like the carpet, his choices in the setting, like his choices on how he had the actresses look and, and do right. So he's breaking down his artistic view of this and how it relates to the book. And it's like 16 minutes long. And I was like, this is the only man I think that could have done this movie right after he is done with it. Cause he's just like, I love this book so much. I read it till the pages fell out when I was a kid, you know, like I, I'm really trying to make this movie for Frank Herbert and myself as the biggest fan, you know? And I, I at that point I'm like, he's the man for this, <laughs> you know? Cause like you, you watch him break down the scene and you're just like, this is amazing. Like this guy was the perfect person for this job. Yeah. Passion for a so. project really pays off. I mean, you look at, if you read all the stuff behind Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, you know, he got hired because he his mom had paid a comic book artist to paint a Spider-Man mural on his wall when he was a kid. I mean, yeah. that was how deep Sam Raimi was into Spider-Man. I get that feeling with Dune here, where it's just not good enough to just direct a cool sci-fi movie. He right. really wants to universe build. And, and while we were talking, I noticed, and I remember seeing this in the credits, but I double-checked my brain, is that Kevin J. Anderson and um, Brian Herbert were both creative consultants oh, nice. on the film. So, um, you know, there's that too. It's it's not like sometimes the fan hate gets a little old, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, the fan, you know, the, oh, it's not as good as Frank Herbert stuff. It's just not as good. It's like, well, yeah, he was one of the greatest, you know, writers, n- not alone, not just a writer, not just a sci-fi writer, but a writer-writer you know, in the latter half of the 20th century, you know, most people are lucky just to kind of not, 
<laughs> if you're just hanging out in the shadow, you're you're doing yeah. pretty good. So anyway, yeah. long story short, we're giving lots of thumbs up. And and actually, from a gamer's perspective, you know, it it makes the modifious role playing game more interesting. It also makes oh, yeah. their board games that are more interesting. The new one they have out, and they've reprinted an old one from the '80s that was very popular back in the day. I I played the new one um, not too long ago, and it was great. It was like it was yeah. like a worker placement style game, but it was a lot of fun. And I'd love to play it again after having watched the movie. Right? Yeah, it would so. feel a little different. Anyway, and I we... think a four X strategy game in the Dune universe would work really well. Oh, wouldn't it? Oh though? yeah, that'd be. Oh that'd man, be great! It'd be so great. Like you're one of the houses, right? And gotta kind of play politics and and all that stuff well on the computer on the computer uh, on pc gaming the first rts that was ever really popular was dune um this was before uh, my uh, warcraft came out okay. which was the second major and now this is pre-world of warcraft this is warcraft warcraft when rts yeah, yeah. strategy games were big but that the original dune rts was like the thing that broke rts and made it a, a very viable uh uh, paradigm for for computer games. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Dan, thank you very much for your Geek Week. We got talking about a lot of good stuff. Uh, Dan, Dan P, how how was your Geek Week? I just wanted to shout out the Disney Plus Day had just dropped tons and tons of really cool stuff out there. Uh, what they're going to be putting out. I know there's there's stuff in Marvel. There's stuff in Star Wars. There's just plenty for everybody. Um. Uh, I had to like figure out who Moon Knight was. I had to go up the All Moon right. Knight learning curve. So there's a lot of uh, you know Marvel IP stuff that you know it's really easy to know who Thor is and easy to know who Captain America. But if you haven't been into the comics, it's like okay, so who's this Moon Knight guy, and how why is he getting a series, and and, yeah. and why is Poe Dameron in it? <laughs> my uh, so. my daughter calls Moon Knight the Wish version of Batman. The Wish version of Batman, yeah. Yeah, so, so you know Wish.com, right? Yeah, And, like, right, right, the right. idea of, like, you order a bicycle, you get a picture of a bicycle, <laughs> you know? So, like, she calls him the Wish version, Wish.com version of Batman. That's 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 some serious shade. but uh, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I wish there was just more content out on these platforms. They just dribble it out one little drop at a time, and it's been really tough. But, um I'll, I'll I'll circle back on Foundation because they're f- the final episode of the um, of the first season is coming mm-hmm. out on Friday and I oh, won't, nice. I won't beat that one to a pulp but that one uh, it's very exceptional um, as far as uh, great genre TV goes um, from a gaming standpoint I picked up a five year old game I picked up the Arkham Arkham Horror card game it has nice. obviously a solo mode and a co-op mode and um it's good I, I sometimes i have to just buy a game and and break the rules into my head and, and figure out how how the mechanics work um and just just to do something new and different so that that that's been on my uh shelf and that's been on my game table as i've been going hey what what do these tokens do yeah yeah that's my very week. good i've seen that and i've always wanted to try it so maybe we'll have to try it again um soon yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Mike Geek Week, um, it was kind of subdued a little bit. It had a lot going on with um, just a bunch of family stuff and work stuff this weekend. So um, I was really like kind of stressed out one night. I think it was last Wednesday. 
And I think we talked about this game before, but I turned on the Xbox and I played Tetris Effect. And um, it's Tetris, but I, I, again, I'm pretty sure that we've talked about this, but it um, has like um, kind of background visuals, right? Oh, yeah, that yeah, happen yeah. when you do it. Um, like so, if like you make a if you make a, a line, it'll kind of like flash for you, and then like the sounds and the songs will kind of like give you the rhythm of your of your playing, you know. So like um, it's got some great great soundtrack behind it. And it's one of those games that I just, I kind of put it on, like, medium mode. Like, I wasn't trying to push myself too hard in the game. But I ended up um, just playing for, like, about an hour. And, man, like, I just felt so much better after it. Like, right, because it's, like, a nice, relaxing, kind of mindless, but you're still kind of engaging kind of thing. And and, uh, it was very, uh, very enjoyable. Um, So uh, it's, like, free on the Xbox Game Pass. So I need to try that because what I do to unwind is I play an older version of Civ and I put it on <laughs> mute because I don't need the audio to play the game and yeah. I listen to podcasts. That's yeah, there you, my go. Audio. there you go. And so it, I pay I pay for the games pass. I have access to the whole library and I'm paying I'm playing an Xbox 360 game <laughs> that was that was uh, <laughs> still not that popular. Was never yeah. really that popular. Uh, yeah. But it's I I don't it's my own I'm a you know I have an ex, I have an executive job I've got a lot of stuff I'm doing I don't want my adrenaline spiking late at night yeah. I just kind of yeah. need to chillax so that's so I'm with you uh, maybe I'll try tre- you, Tetris as you my should chillax. it's it's a really fun game and they do have like co-op things that you, like so you could play with your boy you know what I mean that where you're trying to complete puzzles together and stuff like that so um, it's definitely fun worth worth checking out. And so. Dan, which version of Civ did you say was your poison? I hate to say it. It's like it's like the Fisher Price version of Civ. <laughs> it's re- was it Revolution? It's Revolutions. Mm. And I do have the latest version. I have that on a, on a, on two different platforms actually, and I, I like it. But it frustrates me because I'm not as good at it. <laughs> I do yeah. I do the Fisher Price one, and I turn it up to Deity. And I turn my brain off, and I, my hand, and I'm just organizing, you know, civilization. You know, I'm organizing yep. where cities Civ, go. Same and, thing for me. Civ Five was the one that I first like really got into, and Civ Six, it's not relaxing the same way. Civ Five is much more comfort food for me. Yeah, I haven't tried Humankind yet, the sort of supposed uh-huh. sort of Civ competitor that came out. Uh, I don't know how many months ago now, maybe three or four months ago. Okay, I want to try it eventually, but. But yeah, same thing. I I go for an older Civ, not the latest one. Yeah, yeah. I I have to know, I have to know where the AI is broken and how to beat it every time. But <laughs> I, I, I'm not adrenaline gaming anymore. I'm an old man. So anyway, that's my that's a little insight into my my broken old man brain. All right. Well, one of the other things I want to just mention really quickly um, is that. Uh, there's a Blade Runner Black Lotus anime series that just dropped on Crunchyroll. Um, and if you're familiar with Crunchyroll, it's like an anime streaming platform. And they do a lot of original content. But they'll have like a whole bunch of... Uh, they'll have like Sailor Moon and... Um, uh, let's see, they'll have Sailor Moon. They'll ha- they have like Demon, Prin- uh, Demon Prince and like all that kind of stuff in there. Um, but... Uh, Blade Runner Black Lotus, uh, it is like a CGI-style anime, 
and it looks gorgeous. I mean, it really is like the look and vibe of of uh, Blade Runner. So uh, it's funny because we were just talking about you know Blade Runner twenty forty nine and um, and uh, this is uh, this is like kind of a prequel to it, I believe. And it's before, uh, huh? yeah, so it's in between um, the Blade Runners. And is the vibe kind of like that sort of color tone poem version of the of the twenty forty nine one, or is it kind of that punky version of the first one? It's kind of a punky version, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it um, it's it definitely has the um, the cyberpunk feel to it, and um, but it it's got like it does have some of that real like rich colorization that you do see in twenty forty nine. So I don't know. I think they did a pretty good blend of it, and um, uh, I started an episode. I got like 10 minutes into it and then I felt completely fell asleep because it was at the end of a long day <laughs> that is zero reflection on the story <laughs> itself at all. And 100% reflection so on how good. I pushed myself way too hard that day. So, yeah. So it's in between the two of them. You said like in timeline wise. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is there like a lot of characters we'd recognize or is it like a totally new It's all story? new. Oh, yeah, it's cool. all new. So okay. the um the main girl is a replicant, and she kind of woke up. I don't know if she knows she's a replicant. I didn't really get that far, but um, I'm pretty sure she is a replicant. But she's got a black lotus tattooed on her arm, and that's like the only identifying thing about her. And so she like wakes up with like amnesia, doesn't know what's going on. And she's kind of trying to figure out like what's going on. Meanwhile, there's uh you know, there's um. The people out there are trying to, you know, hunt down replicants and all that stuff. So, it, uh, yeah, like it, it, uh, it seems like it's got a lot of promise. Um, I think the first two episodes are out right now, and I think they release like two episodes every weekend. Um, I'm not 100% sure if you need a, like a premium. Um, I think you have to sign in with like a TV provider. Uh, oh, you know what? I, I, I totally. Uh, so Crunchyroll made this. But they did it in conjunction with Adult Swim. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's on the Adult Swim website, not the Crunchyroll website. So Adult Swim is the actual content owner. So don't go to Crunchyroll because you won't find it there. You have to go to the Adult Swim website. And if you sign in with your TV provider, I think you get all the episodes for free. Um, if not, you may have to see what you can do about finding them elsewhere. I just <clears> looked up some Piracy, stills. not Piracy. <laughs> yeah, I just looked up some stills. You're right. It is kind of halfway between the two in terms yeah. of the vibe that it brings. Like it's... the poster is this incredibly beautiful, um, you know, almost dystopia world, but then with these beautiful colors and this lotus growing under the main character's feet. And then there's sort of also the dusty stuff from the first one. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, so it's really interesting because, like, you're right. The first one was very gritty, right? Like, there's a lot yeah, exactly. of kind of like dirty feel and he was like in the bottom of the cities you know versus the second one um he was in the upper part of the cities where like there's the flashy advertisements and like the rich people were living right and so you had kind of that that uh feel of two different worlds that were going on and um i think that this kind of exists in between though so a lot of problems yeah very cool very cool it looks amazing yeah, 
can't wait can't wait to actually dive into it without falling asleep so (laughs) (laughs) well that was our geek week uh man we had a lot to talk about which is always a good time always a good time uh dan i think it's time for the news welcome to tabletop and beyond news (laughs) it gets me every time i love it (laughs) <laughs> That's just my dream. My, my dream to be a newsman. It's never. I'm happen. Ron Burgundy, <laughs> and you're not. All right. G4 announced more details about their upcoming live stream Dungeons and Dragons show, Invitation to the Party. That's the name of of the show. Will feature B. Dave Walters as the dungeon master, with players Kasim. Garebe, Fiona Nova, India Black, Ifwe Nwandui, I can't pronounce any of those names properly. Marketed as television's first program dedicated to tabletop gaming. That's not exactly true, but we'll let them say it out loud. The program will stream first on GeForce Twitch and YouTube channel starting Friday, November 19th at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. GMT, with a broadcast on the cable and satellite network the following Monday. At 6 p.m. Pacific. I think I think this is a follow-on. They did this last year, didn't they? This is new. This, no, this is their ongoing show. Oh, okay. Like this okay. is not like oh, a they have like a one-off. Stunt. I got gotcha. This is a regular show. So D and D invitation to the party is now something you can watch on television if you're a cable subscriber or if you go wow. find it on YouTube. But I've it's been a long time since I cut the cord on cable. So um, I, you know, it's just, look, there's a lot of live play out there. And the difference is, is this is kind of almost mainstream, which is weird. What a time cool to be for, alive. For what a time. What a time. So uh, that's that's an interesting thing. Uh, it's probably worth checking out. Uh, who knows? It, it might mm-hmm. be great. Um, it seems like everybody's trying to ca- cash in on Matt Mercer and Matt... Uh, Coville and and what they've what they've done so good good yeah. good on them. I mean, and if you think about it, right, like putting together a D and D show is low production costs. Oh yeah. I mean, you you come up with a set, you get a nice table, you get some funny people around the table, and that's all you need. I mean, obviously, you got to have somebody who is animated enough to and and knows what they're doing in terms of an adventure, but like that's. All, that's all that it requires. You don't need special effects. You don't need CGI. It's all pretty much theater of the mind. So, like, it works. low cost, high reward there. Yeah, and and it's hot right now, and people understand what's going on. You don't have to explain it. The mm-hmm. one that's my favorite is Harmon Quest, which was Dan Harmon who created Rick and Morty and the community TV show. Um, he did a thing with him and his pals. He'd have a different celebrity player every week. And then they animated everyone. And then they'd cut oh, back wow. to the table sometimes. But it was mostly animated. And it was freaking hy- hysterical. And they did yeah. two seasons. I for, And that was a pay, that was paid content. And I actually paid to get the content. Um, oh, nice. But I don't think I plowed my way through all of season two. But season one was inspired and just absolutely hysterical. Aubrey Plaza, as a, I think she was a gnome, was just totally... Killer. They they have all these w- random celebrities coming into play and um, just just 
um, two thumbs up. So if you like the idea of something with a little more production value and a lot of comedy over the top Harmon Quest, I, I would give it a recommend. Nice. Um, our, ne- my, our next and last news item is Board Game Geeks 2021 Holiday Gift Guide is live, and it features more than 100 games, uh, game suggestions in 19 categories. So if you go over to BoardGameGeek.com, you can find their Holiday Gift Guide. I've got a few of the categories up. They've got um, uh, card games, cooperative games, dexterity, escape room detective, family for the fans, games for five to six players, heavy games, legacy games, middleweight games, modern classes, classics, new releases, next steps, party games, rolls and rights, solo games, stocking stuffers, thematic games, and two-player games. So it's uh, we're getting into the commerce time of the year where people start spending money. And if you have a gamer in your life, or at least you maybe you want some inspiration of what you want to put on your Christmas list to Santa, or your Hanukkah Harry list, or your Kwanzaa list, whatever, um, go check out our friends at Board Game Geek. Uh, we're we're big fans of of those guys, and they do uh, they do a fine job. Very so, good, very good, sir. All right. Uh, and I believe that is the news for the week. That's the news, and I think we've almost caught up on time. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, as we mentioned in the beginning of the show, we brought Dan uh, Herrera on here with us to talk a little bit of Warcry. Dan, I came across your YouTube channel actually by someone posting uh, one of your video links in um, the Warcry Facebook page that we belong to. And uh, I said, what is this? And I started binging, and I kept binging, and I kept binging, and I kept binging. So I think I've watched almost all the videos at at, at least once at this point. Wow. Um, and by the way, you are a prolific content creator, sir. You <laughs> you put out quite a few videos. There's I don't know exactly how many you're up to, but uh, there's a lot on there. Yeah, I think I'm in the 60s at this point. When I'm... Over the summer, I really slowed down, but I think last spring, I was up to once a week, and uh, I think the last month and a half, two months, I think I've been at once a week as well. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, and uh, what I what I appreciate about your uh, YouTube channel, so for those out there looking for this channel, it's, uh, your, your channel name is The Salty Sea, as in yep. like, uh, you know, the ocean sea, and it's all one word, right? All one word. Also, if you uh, if you just throw Warcry into the YouTube uh, into the YouTube search, um, I've uh, just finally recently gotten sort of big enough where uh, most of the things that come up are, are my channel. It's um, so true. There's yeah. not that many videos out there on Warcry, and you're you own like ninety percent of them. <laughs> I think. <Yeah>, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, I, so here's the thing though: is it's like as I was I was watching your channel, I'm like. Um, your your YouTube channel is filling a niche that really isn't out there, right? I mean, there's plenty of people talking about Age of Sigmar or 40K or you know uh, X-wing even maybe. Uh, you know, like there's there's a bunch of people out there doing their um, you know uh, video breakdowns or you know um, list discussions and things like that, and that just wasn't out there for Warcry. So um, a couple questions first. Uh, did your Salty Sea channel exist before Warcry content? 
It did not. Um, okay. Actually, if there had been more Warcry content, the channel never would have existed. Okay. Um, so, like, my sort of getting into Warcry, um, I sort of I started playing it. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was the first Warhammer-based game that my wife was actually willing to play with me, um, nice. which was like a especially as the pandemic started was just like the most amazing revelation right yeah. um so then i look online as i start as i start obsessing over this game and i just i'm not seeing a lot of other content out there there was one guy um his name's rito who was posting videos that were kind of along the lines of what I wanted to be watching, where um, uh-huh. he would kind of, he would have open his Google Doc spreadsheet and he would um, sort of talk about his sort of approach at math hammering the various uh, units in the game. Um, I think he was a, he was like an English guy, wasn't he? Like a bald English guy? Is that the guy I'm thinking of? Oh, is there a... Oh, there's... Okay, so there's a guy... There is a bald English guy who talks about Warcry sometimes. Okay, okay. Uh, he talks and, about a few other games more often, yeah. but he'll dabble in Warcry. Uh, I think it's Blackjack Games. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, yeah, so Rito's a German guy, um, and he was just really welcoming. When I made my first video, uh, he was just really welcoming and really like kind of thankful to have another person doing it as well, yeah. um, because you know the community. Uh, of content creators for it was so small, even though the the community of people playing the game, you know, was was bigger than you would guess based on that. Yeah. Um, and so, if there had been a you know three or four other people making those types of videos, I don't think I ever would have started. Right? I only did it because I was like, I <laughs> need a creative outlet, and yeah. I wish there was someone making the types of the types of videos I want to watch. So I guess I'll just make them. Yeah. That's smart. Unlike us, we decided to do yet another show. A vastly <laughs> crowded field of similar shows. But our voice is it's out there. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's <laughs> yeah. something about staking out the water holes on the internet that can that's very you can you can get a lot of mileage out of that. And I'm not saying that your content wouldn't stand on its own. My brother Nate had one of the very first gaming podcasts as soon as Apple started posting podcasts on YouTube. And his partner was the guy who felt like he owned it, and he killed the show. <laughs> and the other, the other gaming show that was on the iTunes top ten gaming was Nate Show and Tom Vassell's uh, Dice Tower. And Dice Tower went on to become this wow. huge thing. And <laughs> yeah, my, my brother and his buddy fizzled <laughs> into into pod fading. So he's actually co-hosted with us on this show once. So yeah. we've already needled him for his. Lack of vision. <laughs> so good for you to find a good spot, and and uh, when it matches the create what your creative interests are, and there's there's some hunger in the community, and you're there first. It's really powerful. So good for you, man. So Dan P will attest to you, uh, and to many of our other listeners, that Warcry is a great game for beginners uh, into the kind of fantasy war gaming. Um, and it may be one of the best GW games for people who totally aren't into wargaming. And at least for me, that was a big part of, you know, like I mentioned with my, my wife actually being willing to play with me, I think that's the real strength of it. And you get to where 
once you've played it five or six times, you can start to just play it kind of casually without thinking too hard about it, um, which is that space where you actually start really having fun with your friends, right? Because now you're hanging out and playing it and not like mm-hmm. focusing on the game you're playing. And I think that's um, any game where you can obsess about it on your own, but then also come and when you're playing it, it can just be kind of a hangout. I think that's just a really strong game. You know, I think that this is where Warcry shines more than 40k, way more than 40k, uh, more than Age of Sigmar. I haven't tried like the, you know, um, Imperius Aeronauticus or whatever that game is, and I haven't really even played Necromunda or um, some of the Underworlds games. I hear Underworlds is a pretty fun game, um, but where I think Warcry really shines more than a lot of the other games out there is that it wants to be a casual game, right? Like, I really feel like it wants to be a casual game where you can hang with your buddies and have a great time rolling some dice. But it can also be, if you want it to, a very competitive game. Like, it, does, it doesn't it does pigeonhole itself into any one of those categories, right? Whereas, like, you play 40K and, like, you're starting to, like like build your list based on what gun the guy's holding in his hand, you know? And you're like, okay, like I, I, that guy doesn't have any grenades on his belt, so I can't take grenades. You know what I mean? And like you yep. start doing that kind of stuff and, and like all of a sudden, like even just prepping for a casual game is starting to feel more serious, you know? And Warcry is not like that. Um, it can be if you want it to, but it's, I think at its base level, it's not. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, I think you guys did an episode, I think, when the when the Grand Alliance books came out. Mm-hmm. And that was really when Warcry uh, became able to go both ways. Because um, it, when it came out, it was a really good casual game. Um, yes. But kind of the list building part of it, the, the game before the game, the game before you show up with the models that you've chosen yep. uh, that wasn't very deep. And I think the grand Alliance books uh, from last, I guess a year ago now, almost exactly a year ago now, yep. Yep. Uh, just completely changed it from that perspective and actually made list building fun. Um, a kind of thing that you might sit at your computer for an hour and just kind of casually sort of put together different ways to, to stick your warband together. Um, yeah, I yeah. um, it's definitely there's like it it's almost like BC versus AD, right? Like there's before the GA, the Grand Alliance books, and there's after the Grand Alliance books. And don't get me wrong, I loved playing with the with them before the Grand Alliance books. Um, but you know what I think? I think that Warcry suffered from uh some imbalances, um with before the grand alliance books right so some of the age of sigmar army bands like were very powerful very very powerful some of the uh war cry designated bands like the iron golems for example is the classic one that everybody's like oh they're so terrible you know (laughs) and um and that i think that had some truth in it like before the grand alliance books you know like you could objectively say like yeah like these guys just don't hit very hard and they're very slow so they lose a lot of a lot of the matchups right um but after the grand alliance books where you could 
I love how you put it, the game before the game, right? Where you get to sit down and start list building and be like, okay, well, what if I take this as a combo? What if I take that as a combo? Like, what if I introduce some Chaos Hounds into the Iron Golems mix so now they got some speed that they didn't have before? Or, like, what if I bring a Dark Oath Chieftain to the... Um, to the untamed beasts that don't have a lot of hitting power, but now all of a sudden this Dark Oath Chieftain can one-shot a big monster if you get lucky enough, right? Like, um, and so I think I think that stuff is really great. And the great thing about it is sometimes you add a bunch of depth to a game and you're adding bloat, right? Where yeah. um, people feel like they have to use the depth you've added um, and they can't do the casual version. And I think they did a really good job where if you aren't interested in playing the game before the game, right? Because that's sort of, it's where these types of games differ from, you know, you could buy three board games for the price of, of that, uh, <laughs> of that Warcry starter box. Yeah. Right. Um, and have a ton of fun with your three board games. Right. But, but the reason you would play magic, the gathering, the reason you would play any kind of Warhammer thing is, um, is the fact that you're, you get to play it on your own. Like it's, you play solitaire to decide how you're going to play collaboratively later. Um, and with Warcry, now that the books are out, you can choose to play a ton of that solitaire. And I, I do a ton of it because I'm doing it for my channel. But you yeah. can also kind of choose to ignore it because they still got the original Warband boxes, and you can just right. get one of them. Um, and just run it and the, the boxes are you know almost exactly a thousand points and there's not really a way to screw it up and you know build it and all of a sudden not have a playable warband so you right. can do it either way which i think is really good um and uh the thing about the um the aos warbands beating the the og warcry specific warbands it's mm -hmm. so funny because i think a lot of people um, so they got the Iron Golems and the Untamed Beasts in the intro box. Yep, yep. And then really hoped to be able to compete with those against, like, uh, AOS Warbands where you got to pick and choose from, like, an entire army. Right. And so, one, the Grand Alliance books does make it easier with just one box because you can bring in good allies, mm -hmm. uh, from elsewhere. But also, um... I do think there's a bunch of the original ones where if you get uh, two boxes of them, which I know sort of defeats the purpose of how easy they are to get into, but if you love painting one of them, if you're yeah. just like, I, this is my favorite aesthetic, I just want to do this again, um, a few of them, if you get two boxes, can actually go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any of, the, any of the AOS ones. That's very true. I know, um, for example, the uh, Unmade, right? Like the kind of death people. Um, uh, they had uh, like a, one of those Slaves to Darkness boxes where it came with 20 of them. With the idea that you would run them as kind of marauders in the Slaves to Darkness army. And um, I think with two boxes of those, like they've got some real firepower in them. Yeah, that one, and then also um, Corvus Cabal, the uh, yeah. the chicken people, they <laughs> yeah, yeah. the crow people. They um, they have these spearmen who are just really amazing and really good. Uh, anytime you have uh, range two in Warcry, you get to 
kind of stab someone without them stabbing you back, and that's always good. And so right. Corvus Cabal is really good once you have two boxes of them. Yeah, and um, what are the other one? The snake people. The um, I, I keep wanting to say spire tyrants, but that's not them. The um, yeah, the splintered uh, fang. Splintered um, fang. Yeah, because they snake. come with the snake <laughs> itself is just really really good. Yeah. Yeah, and so they um, they've got you know they got some tricks. So if you got like you know a couple boxes, then like all of a sudden you've got some some pretty good options. Um, and look, some of the Age of Sigmar boxes that came out, like the um, Skaven Age of Sigmar Warcry specific box, was pretty good. I mean, you came with a billion clan rats that you don't really need, but it did come with two rat ogres and two pack masters that is like a and and a ton. Of giant rats right like the little giant yeah. rats and like all of a sudden you've got yourself like a ridiculous army right there right like two yeah, rat the ogres and the, incredible and the and the pack masters because the pack masters let let you uh fight twice essentially with your rat ogres in in your turn which i mean that bonus a uh, bonus attack like is stupid stupid good with those rat ogres i so the guy who's not here tonight his name is jason um he uh he plays warcry with me all the time and i i took the skaven out against him for the first time it's like okay rat ogre goes and it was like you know i mean it's got like a base damage of four with a crit of eight so i was like yeah that's uh that'll be 24 damage and he's like wait wait what <laughs> you know like yeah and for people who haven't played the game yet this is a game where sort of a a small fighter is going to have about 10 health right yeah. so when you're pumping out 24 mm-hmm. um you can you can one shot kill a lot of uh, team's leaders with that much damage that's pretty terrifying um and the cool thing about warcry is the the way they've done <laughs> The uh, pretty simple rule set, and yet you can still find some combos like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's part of part of what makes it really, really good. Yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I think, you know, we have a Justin runs a mini tournament for us. He's done it two years in a row at, at a larger event that we do, and it's amazing how many people can go up the learning curve and just start loving the game. And you know, by the end of the first round, everybody. Is totally invested and by the third round there's there you don't have the rules hiccups that you would have and kind of a blow to your game so i'm a big fan yeah glad to hear it so you guys have gotten some little tournaments in a little bit uh i call it our war cry narrative campaign right so i put together like i i kind of balance it like well part of it is that uh i know that i've got like two or three experienced Warcry players, and then I've usually got, like, four to five very inexperienced. Like, maybe played one or two games or no games at all. Total you know? noobs. So, so um, what I do is I usually bring out some pretty balanced, like, you know, kind of milk toast lists. You know, I mean, nothing that's going to be like, oh, my gosh, this is ridiculous, you know? Um so, so I'm using a lot of the base OG um, uh, Warcry bands because like a lot of those are the ones I painted up and I really like because I put a lot of effort into those OG ones, you know. Um, and then like I'll throw some Nighthawn in there, and we had some, we had some a pretty pretty basic FEC list, 
you know, flush eater quartz list, and we yeah, FEC um, can get really scary if you uh, min max them too much. Exactly, but you can also make some pretty tame ones as well if if you uh, pull it back a little bit. I think I had like a Stormcast Warriors list in there, you know, that had like um one of the not the judicators but the prosecutors, right? With the like, so I had one guy with wings, and then a couple other guys that were like foot guys and. So, and we had some orcs, you know, uh, basic, like, ard boys and brutes uh, in there. So, you know, like, we, I mean, these are all lists that, like, could go against each other and really, depending on the mission, was what was going to, um, you know, determine kind of, like, who won. And, uh, yeah, but, I mean, at the end of the day, like, uh, it got to the point where, you know, the first, the first game like people are asking questions wait like what does this mean again like what does a sword thing mean again and what does this like skull thing you know icon mean and um how do these rune marks work with the abilities but by the end you saw some really competitive games happening across the board um with each other and like that's the kind of thing where i'm just like man i wish we had another like two or three hours that we could just keep playing because i think people would really really get into it you know yeah, absolutely. And there's a ton of strategy that um, isn't obvious when you first read the rules, um, because so much the rules are pretty simple, but so much of it is about sort of positioning and planning for the next round. Yes. And uh, I think one of the things they've done really well with Red Harvest is, um, you know, in the base game, there's just three rounds. And then in Catacombs, they uh, blew it out to five rounds. And right. I think it was too much. I think it took took a little too long. But I think they it was them realizing that um, three rounds, it could sometimes, sometimes the faster warband would just get into position too quickly for the slower right. one to kind of grind right. them down. And I think in Red Harvest, the fact that they've, you know, they overcorrected on purpose. I mean, I think they had to try five uh, just to see, right, with Catacombs. But yep. with Red Harvest, this new box, I'm sorry, you might not have actually mentioned yet that there's a brand new box for the game that just dropped this weekend. Um, but for <laughs> <laughs> their news, there is a brand new box for the game that just came out this weekend. And uh, they've gone for this kind of happy medium between the two that... Um, yeah, lets you lets you really dig into the strategy of, of uh, sort of going round by round. That um, again, yeah, not that obvious when you first read the rules how important yeah. it is. Yeah, that was always an interesting thing. Like there were sometimes where the three rounds could be your friend or it could be your worst enemy, you know. And uh, oftentimes you're playing more against the time limit and time limit, right? In quotes, it's really the round limit. Um, than sometimes the other player. I remember one of the scenarios that I drew against our friend Jason was that um, I separated my things into uh, dagger, shield, and hammer. And basically it said, your dagger and shield have run away. It's just your hammer. And <laughs> um, you have to stay alive for three rounds. You know, and I'm like, oh, crap, you know, and I mean, fortunately, I had like an orc that's kind of beefy, you know, Yeah. but he also had um, he also had uh, 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 ogres with the lead belchers. And so he was Ooh. shooting me from far away and I'm just trying to run, but they're super slow. Right. So yep. did um, you survive. I did not, but it came down to like one dice roll at the very end. So in the beginning, I'm like, this is stupid. I'm going to be dead in one round, right? Yeah. Um, but the other thing is the twist card. You ready for this? Add chaotic yep. beasts. 
Oh, so, I, those are some of my favorite ones. They oh really, my gosh, they really level, level the playing field sometimes. Yep, yep, and it totally helped because I could all of a sudden throw a chaotic beast next to uh, a a lead belcher that had these basically cannons right mounted to his stomach, and like because the chaotic beast was right next to him, he couldn't he couldn't shoot. Um, uh, he had to deal with that thing that was right next to him. So, um. Yeah, like it was, it was great. Like and and just like having, you know, he had to like uh, try to stab me with the tyrant, but the beast was in the way, so he had to take an extra action to move and then then get to me, right? So yeah, um, uh, yeah, it was good. I know some people who will love to hear that story. So the lead belcher leader is when people do min max and try to figure out what are the strongest things in the game. Yeah, uh, ogres with two of the lead belcher leader. Yep is uh one of the absolute most powerful things you can do uh and it's it's, so stupid it's it's ridiculous so uh, people will be real happy to hear you were able to bog down some lead vultures with your chaotic beasts well it was great and and the thing too is i i was hiding my guy like in cover right like cover is your best friend when it comes to it because like even just upping the toughness just by one like really makes a difference um, well, lead so. belchers are the best at blowing away three toughness models. Like in the yeah. entire game, lead belcher leaders are the best at, at destroying three toughness things. So if you could yeah. just get that extra point, that uh, kind of takes you out of their sweet spot a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk a little bit real quick about, you, you mentioned Red Harvest. Um, what uh, did you, Have you gotten the box yet? I have. I spent a lot of the weekend um, sort of putting it together as much as I could. I'm about two thirds the way through. So, how heavy was that box when you got it? <laughs> um, let's see. So, I have a 16 month old daughter, and she's a little heavier than the box, uh, a little <laughs> harder to carry around than the box is. But the fact that it's even a conversation should tell you something. There's a lot of stuff in this box. So, um, what surprised me the most was the amount of terrain. Like, there was a lot of terrain in this thing. Yeah. And that's the thing I have to gush over the most about it. Um, we'll get to the warbands, but this terrain, uh, putting it together is, you really get the sense. So this is the first time they've designed something completely for Warcry with Warcry in mind. Uh, mm-hmm. The intro box was terrain that already existed. Right. It almost felt like they, they designed the game almost around this existing terrain. Um, this is built entirely to be compelling in the game, and you can kind of tell. Uh, you know, part of it's it comes with this little bobsled track. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, but also I've heard people call it the log ride. <laughs> yeah, <right>? yeah. <laughs> um, but it's also got this like multi-story uh, sort of platforms and scaffolding that you build. And um, they've got missions in there that that encourage you to go climb it, um, which I think is just really compelling. And I think that yeah. the game in general is best, at least the previous versions of the game, were best when you were climbing on the terrain and using sure. the terrain. Um, it's sort of a strength of it that, uh, that Necromunda is really good at, but that 40K and Age of Sigmar are not good at, is really right. like using the terrain. Um, 
And Warcry is at its best when you're doing it. And this terrain set just has a ton of stuff that's sort of encouraging you to get up there and actually climb in these buildings and sort of get up and kind of live in the buildings with your fighters. And I think that that's just really a really good idea. And, and you can tell that that this is bespoke for the game in a way that has never existed before. That's awesome. And and I like the defiled ruins terrain that came with the original box, right? I think I think that it was a great set of terrain, but you're absolutely right. Like that was an Age of Sigmar terrain set that they're like, okay, well let's just kind of package it all together to have it. And terrain, you're right, I think I think terrain means a lot more in Warcry um, than many of the other games. I mean, I was playing a game where um, he had to kill my leader, and I was uh, playing the the warrior um, the warrior chamber of Stormcast, right? Yep. And I made a mistake, and I tried to run around a um, a piece of terrain, and I couldn't climb up it because he was too slow. And <laughs> classic he ended Stormcast up, problem. <laughs> yeah, right. He ended up pinning me up against this uh, against this piece of terrain, and I could not get out because I, you can't retreat more than three inches when you disengage, which means I couldn't right. get up on top of the thing with the way that it was, right? Yep. Uh, because I could go up three inches, but I didn't have enough to move over and get on, you know? Yeah, so you and had so, to try to fight your way out. I had to it. try to find my way out, but then all yeah. of a sudden I had four ogres around me, like literally, and I'm like, okay, this is <laughs> this is just bad. And, and, and the thing that pinned me like right away was a stupid 45-point Noblar. Yep. Like, yep. that little guy. And I'm yep. like, are you kidding me? Like, Yeah, the Noblars you know? are why ogres are so scary. I mean, yeah. you know, if you put if you put the Lead Belcher leader in any other warband, it'd still be really good, but pairing mm-hmm. it with those stupid 45-point Noblars really makes it mm-hmm. busted. <laughs> so, so I'm glad to hear that in this um, new box that there's um, kind of terrain that's very focused on Warcry, because you're right, like, it's really fun to get your models on different levels and be like, okay, what's the strategy behind here? And I've never once in my whole time of gaming actually kicked somebody off of a piece of terrain. You know, like there's that Uh chance that you could always do it, but we never got up there at at any point, you know? Yeah, I think it will happen with this one um, because there's also, there's six missions it comes with and two of them, two of them you get extra points if you're completing the mission on top of terrain so there's there's a one in three chance any game you play that you're gonna be playing a mission where you'd be crazy not to get climbing um Mm -hmm. so i think that's really cool i do have to warn people one of the pieces of terrain it's like this uh bucket tower it's like this mining assembly it's beautiful but it is the most challenging assembly job i think i've ever had in my no way. Uh, in my life of wargaming i it uh, took me an entire afternoon to put it together i was like really humming putting everything <laughs> together i had so much momentum and then uh like getting the buckets to connect to both so they're sort of suspended by chains and it looks incredible now that it's together because it's this like dynamic thing it's like it's all glued together but you feel like you can see the buckets going down into the water and bringing up the stuff oh that's Um, cool but actually getting it getting them to like connect the chains together was that was rough um (laughs) <laughs> so most of it's not that hard but there was yeah. the one the one tower that was really difficult well 
we talked about like the you know the, the log ride bobsled run which is really like a sluice for this uh veronite which is kind of this special metal um and if anybody's up on the age of sigmar lore which i don't know if many of our listeners are but um you know the uh aos 3.0 came out uh earlier this summer and um one of the transition um narratives that they had going between aos 2.0 and aos 3.0 was that um marathi the shadow queen which is basically like this kind of snake lady um she uh wanted to ascend to godhood and she needed to get a bunch of this veronite that is mined in the eight points um underneath this chaos tower and uh her people stole a bunch of it and brought it back to her and she was then able to ascend to godhood and um so it's a very strong narrative in age of sigmar and i love the fact that they said our next setting for this new starter box is going to be all about the veronite right because it had such potent implications in in the narrative yeah i i do like the age of sigmar story in general um like my channel i don't focus on it very much but i do i do like that it's really evolving in a way i think yes, a lot of more right. established games they there's certain directions they can't go because mm-hmm. um they've already gone a certain direction and and like especially with um gw and any kind of game with that puts out miniatures once you've built a miniature it has to exist um, mm-hmm. So you can't have a twist to the story that would change the role of the thing that's that's represented by that model because you know people are still buying that model, playing that model. You can't change too much. Right. Um, but because Age of Sigmar is so new, um, they can they can do a lot that that you wouldn't be able to do in in a similar setting, and they can tell a few more stories, mm-hmm. um, which I think is why people sort of talk about Warcry as being. A primarily narrative game um mm-hmm. at least with my channel i get more engagement talking about competitive stuff but i get it from narrative players where they're like we want to know what the most powerful things are and we you know want your channel to learn that but then we're gonna take the most powerful things we're gonna take away two of the thing that you're spamming <laughs> in your in your uh thing and then we're just gonna put something we like and then we're we're going to put that in our narrative games. And so like people use the min max lists to figure out like what they're going to do for their 80% of the min max. Right. Um, right. That, that people like to do for their narrative stuff. They want to put the kid yeah. gloves on, on those lists. Right. Right. Um, but they want to start with the best thing and put kid gloves yeah. on it as opposed to starting with kind of a, a random assortment. Yeah. They yeah. want to so, dial it up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Instead of, the mediocre kind of middle of the road, middle of the bell curve game. It's like, okay, if we really want the narrative, we want to push the narrative there, you know, you got to up the stakes. Yeah. A little bit. And then, uh, and then, right. Cause it's no fun to go for the, the most powerful stuff all the time. Um, but yeah, when you like start knowing where the top is, um, going a few rungs down purposefully kind of kind of lets you calibrate your stuff a little bit better yeah so uh let's talk about yeah all right so you've got this gorgeous board uh you've got this amazing terrain um that comes in the starter pack you've got you know all the cards that you need all that all that stuff 
uh, let's talk about the two war bands. So it's very interesting. Um, I obviously watched your reviews uh, on your YouTube channel about these. Um, let's start with the Conan the Barbarian and his kin, uh, Dark Oath Warband. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's interesting. So GW's kind of gone to the well of Barbarians a few times now with mm-hmm. Warcry. Um these ones, I was putting them together today, and it was the first time I had done a, a Warcry kit that felt like it wanted you to get multiples, or it had the same kind of multi-pose, multi-option uh, thing as an Age of Sigmar kit, where um, every single torso has a few different poses it can be in. It's not like when they do um, brand new Age of Sigmar or 40k ones where... Uh, it's slightly less dynamic poses, but you can do infinitely infinite variations on each pose. Right. It's not like that, but it's not like the ones where they only clip together one way either. Mm-hmm. They found this really cool medium with it where each of these fighters uh, clips together like two or three different ways, um, which can give you a ton of mileage and, and a little bit of sort of flexibility with how you want to make them, which I think is a really cool happy medium that they found and so the... i, oh, I yeah, i'm sorry on. i was gonna say i noticed that same principle with the um uh stormcast eternals in the dominion box right you have like three or four different ways to do your main battle line guys that gave them enough variety like maybe their arm was out to the side or to the front and maybe their their chest was a little different way or they're holding their shield a little different way um, and so it wasn't the typical, like if you looked at the liberators for the Stormcast Eternals, like they were pretty much monopose, like right. there was and only had one to way wait. to build them. Yeah. You had to wait for the overpriced multipose kit in order yep. to actually get any variety in there. Um, where you're yeah. right with the Dominion box, there's a little bit of variety baked in. So, you know, if you wanted to build a ton of them and you didn't want to wait for the kits to come out, you could absolutely still do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you um you you've reviewed the rules for the um uh Dark Oath, Conan the Barbarian style guys. Um, how do you think that they're going to perform? In um, the meta. So I think they're going to be a lot better in Red Harvest than they will be if you take them out of that and play them in the base game. Interesting. Um, yeah, because a bunch of their abilities are based on investing in the future, sort of. Okay. They have a bunch of abilities, um, or at least, well, two is a bunch in this game, but two of their five abilities are um, specifically about making them tougher for the next round. Oh, uh, okay. There's one where you turn in some... So for people who don't know, Warcry abilities are based on uh, something called Wild Dice, where you toss some dice and... Uh, you know, based on what you've rolled, and it's sort of like a Yahtzee situation, you get to use different abilities, and each and each warband has different ways to use different dice rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Dark Oath folks can turn in a dice to then sort of get an extra dice next round, or they can sort of roll mm-hmm. for a chance to get more abilities next round. And then they, they've also got an ability... Their whole thing is sort of they swear oaths. That's okay. You know, they're the dark oath people. They swear dark oaths. Uh, so if they if they take someone out, they can say it's an oath fulfilled, and then they get a bonus for the next round. Um, so in Red Harvest, where you've got four rounds instead of three, uh, I think 
that the Dark Oath people are actually going to be pretty good. Um, okay. Or at least okay. pretty, like, a lot better than they will be in the base game. I know when the, um, you know, when they first came out, I think people were down on them because they, they saw more barbarians and then they right. saw the rules and they were like, well, they're not doing, um, like, they're, they're not very fast. But I think they're really built for Red Harvest. Um, and it's kind of clever what they've done with this because the Tarantulos folks are kind of the opposite where uh, Tarantulos, I think, are going to be really evenly matched with the Dark Oath people in Red Harvest, where uh-huh. Tarantulos are really fast, uh, but really fragile. These so are the spider guys, right? Yep, yep, the yeah. spider guys. Um, they're really fast, but really fragile. Uh, they've got a lot of spider flavor like that, right? Like, if a spider bites you, it's really going to hurt, but you can also squish a spider pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, and their, their abilities are kind of... Uh, reflecting that or based on like making more little spider pets mm-hmm. and when they came out people were in uproar because um they've got this little 35 point spider who is just doing way too much for 35 points it should cost <laughs> about 60 points okay uh, but instead they put it at 35 um but it's good at everything that is rewarded a little too much in the base game Mm. Um, so these tarantulas are going to be really busted when you port them over to the three round base game but in red harvest i actually think they're going to be really evenly matched with the darko so i think i think it's kind of cool how they've done that where um they kind of they created a warband that was sort of pushing the boundaries of what used to be good and i think they're going to use that to sort of teach players about how Red Harvest is different from the base game, right? Because I think it's going to be fun yeah. to kind of go back and forth. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's that's very interesting. I mean, those spider guys, to me, like, um, I don't think that they'll do well against, like, a KO army, a, a Caradron Overlord army that has some movement and shooting, you know, because they can just, uh, they'd probably take out a bunch of those spiders with just one guy and multiple shots, you know, so... Yeah, you'd worry about that if you were playing them. Um, I think the way you do it is you just have so many spiders mm. that, like, you go all the way up to 15, and then uh, KO in the base game just wouldn't have time to kill them all. Um, yep, yep, that's fair. But I think in Red Harvest, a shooty faction would probably mm. be able to do it. Yeah. Um, as would, like, a you know, certain tougher factions that can sort of take the first punch and then they punch back and the spiders all get squished yeah something like that something with some splash damage maybe yeah yeah something like that um warcry there's only a few uh folks like abilities in warcry that have really good sort of aoe crowd control stuff um it's sort of on people's wish lists for you know future editions on of the game for sure um but yeah, the, the stuff that does have it would be pretty good against the spiders. That's awesome. Now, there's some extra rules for the Red Harvest, right, that uh, revolve around the Varanite. Yeah, there are. So um, so they have a bunch of terrain, and one of the terrain bits is basically we've alluded to these bobsled tracks, right, that they come from the mining equipment, and then you can have them snake all around the field, which I think is really cool. Um it counts as an obstacle for shooting, so it's going to be a bit of a nerf to shooting warbands, um, which I think is good because I think 
a lot of people one complaint that i hear often from newer players is like i got shot off the board right away from this shooting warband um and then like the more you play the less shooting warbands bother you but they're really right. brutal right when you start yeah um, and so the yeah, fact you just that, don't know how to play them very well yeah exactly you know? and yeah. and because 90% of the game is mostly melee armies. Mm. Uh, when you do come up against a shooting army, it's like it totally throws you for a loop, right? Mm. Um, but anyway, so these these tracks, they count as obstacles. Um, it's hard to get anywhere without climbing onto them, so you're kind of forced to, to get onto them before you can you know, get to wherever the objective is. And then if you walk up to one of the pieces of mining equipment, you can use a double to basically just turn it on is all mm -hmm. the double is and then once you turn it on all of the uh sluices of this sort of stuff that they're mining uh it all becomes active and you it's sort of in the lore it's sort of radioactive where like Marathi mm -hmm. became a god by using it but if you aren't an amazing shadow sorceress like Marathi was, you're not going right. to use it effectively and you're going to take damage. Yep. Um, she had a whole ritual set up to use it correctly too, right? Right, right. Like, not just like, years. oops, I fell into it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. This isn't like a, a superhero origin story. This uh, required a ton of planning. So you take a bunch of damage if you're on them. I wish there were a few more incentives to get on them other than just that they're in the way. Um mm. But you know that's that's a tiny nitpick I think in the in the overall scheme of things. Mm -hmm. um, and then also you know interestingly, if I can go on a bit of a tangent, this is the last Warcry product um, before the new hires that they added to the game will be able to start developing them. So mm. this was I think the timing worked out. So this was developed. As soon as they saw the reaction to the very first starter box is when they started building this. Um, okay. And it's got a ton of, you can kind of tell, right? Like a lot of the things that people figured out were imbalanced from the game, like within the first few months, a lot of them are, are um, you know, corrected here, I think, really, right. really well. There's a few things that they hadn't figured out yet. Like people hadn't realized how broken pets are when you're mm. in maxing. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, this has a pet. Um, right. It, <laughs> but um, A really cheap pet, too. Yeah, yeah, you know? a really cheap pet. Um, so, like, yeah, just as good as uh, if anyone's played against Aether Wings, the little birds, yep. they're really good. If anyone's played against... Um, giant rats. Giant rats, they're ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if Noblars count as pets, but they're really good. If you They have seem like it, though, don't they? Yeah, they kind of, they do <laughs> seem like it. Yeah. Um, but, but for the most part, this does correct a lot of the imbalance in the first game. Um, and Warcry is totally balanced enough that you can have fun with it in a casual setting. But, yeah. you know, if you were going to run tournaments. And right now, you know, Warcry, not really a tournament scene game. Um, there were a few before the pandemic. I think the pandemic yeah. killed a lot of the momentum there. But as far as, like, the actual... Uh, sort of state and future of the game i do think the future of it holds a lot of that because they hired a bunch of people to work on the game actually yeah. really recently um like uh i think in may or april is when they hired people so that's great none of the stuff yeah, <clears throat> that's good. Great it's, it says that they're the company's willing to invest in the game 
Absolutely. And, and we're not seeing any of the benefit for that right now. And I don't think we will see it for at least a couple of years. Um, right. Because it takes, I think, two or three years. Mm-hmm. You guys would know better than yeah, I do. Yeah, development about, like, pipelines are very real. I mean, yeah, like uh, AOS 3.0 came out this last summer. The writing for everything was pretty much done nine months in advance. And that's like done and sent to the printer. So you're talking the development started a good year before that, right? So Minus the yeah. supply chain problems that the whole right. globe, globe right. is enduring right now. So yeah, it's interesting cool. you uh, mentioned tournaments because – we had on with us last week um, a guy named James O'Brien. He is an Age of Sigmar uh, tournament organizer, uh, but he is helping to organize uh, the Nova Open, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Nova Open, um, but it is one of the largest wargaming conventions in the country. Yeah, that's um, exciting. Yeah, and so um, uh, he, you know, Every year that we've gone, of course, there's Age of Sigmar. There's like, uh, I think there was like 1,240 K players playing. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. There's like, uh, there's uh, you've got you know all the Warlord kind of games like uh, uh, Red Skies and uh, Bolt Action and uh, Team Yankee and all that stuff. And then you've also got um, X Wing and Armada and, and Lord uh, of the Star Rings. Legion. Had, uh, Lord of the Rings. Yep. Lord of the Rings and the the terrain was very accurate yep. to the films. So, uh, so they got all sorts of games. They got tons of vendors, all that. So James was telling us that this next iteration that's coming up this next fall, there will be a Warcry narrative and tournament event. Oh, happening. that's so cool to hear. I've yeah. been trying to figure out if that will happen for adepticon which i think Mm. comes out uh this spring but hearing that for next fall is amazing and it's Mm -hmm. there's been some strong rumors about maybe a war cry 2.0 coming out in the summer so that would be sort of like right before that tournament which could be imagine the party that i'd get to have with the community for like all these people i've sort of met online through the internet in various ways to to actually hang out with them at nova open with uh with a brand new edition in our hands playing it oh man you know the first time that would be so cool and you would be able to meet vince venturella because he's always there doing painting classes and he's a (laughs) great guy he's a great guy um so uh let me ask you this uh, if you were to run a Warcry tournament, what what do you feel like you need, and what do you feel like do you feel like you need to limit anything or ban anything or just kind of laissez faire because everybody's going to min max or like what do you what do you think you would do if you were a tournament organizer? I think the first one I wouldn't limit anything. Um, the the things that are broken in Warcry. From like a, if you really want to get into it, um, they're kind of hard to procure. Like pot grots are really <laughs> busted right. in Wargrat. I saw your pot but, grot list. Yeah, <laughs> but they're really hard to get a hold of, right? Because you mm-hmm. have to buy a swamp call a shaman, and it only comes with one pot grot. Right. Um, so I think I would start off not really limiting anything at all, uh, yeah. just because. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if people want to spend, you know, $300 putting together the things to find it. Now, I think the one the one exception is Skaven. Uh-huh. Uh, you can get like a, a box of Plague Monks 
for 38 bucks. Yeah. And it comes with 20 Plague Monks, which are really good in the game. But even crazier is it comes with 16 giant rats as, like, facing decoration. Yeah, yeah. Um, except giant rats are just really good in Warcry also. Right. Like, they're they're totally busted. So Skaven would be the only thing I'd be worried about with that. But I'd want to see what the community came up with first before I start limited, started limiting. It'd be really I, interesting. And listen, yeah. even if you got the regular Skaven box... You could convert some of those clan rats into plague monks super easy, and now you've got six. I think I pulled out of that thing six giant rats, two rat ogres, two backmasters, a bunch of clan. You know what I mean? Like a claw lord. I've got a bunch of clan rats. You know, with rusty spears and and daggers and stuff like that. So if I converted some of those to some plague monks, which is not hard to do because they're all the same size, right? Like, yep. um, you just throw a little green stuff on there and give them a robe. All of a sudden, like, you're cooking with gas with a $50 bat box. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, and so, you know, from a from a tournament organizer perspective, I wouldn't start off trying to handicap those other than just, like, there are twists you can pick um, or, like, various missions you can pick where flooding the board with pets isn't as much of an advantage as it would be otherwise. Yeah. Um, so I think I'd start with that before I'd actually limit it. I know a lot of people talk about saying like, you can't have more than five of the same model or something like that to kind of, um, reduce spamming. Um, and 40 yeah. K they eventually just went with that rule. You can't have the rule more of than three, right? Yeah. yeah. You, they've got the rule of three for 40 K. So it, it's got precedent for sure. I yeah. wouldn't start with it though. I'd I'd let the first tournament play out first. I think that's fair because like the thing is is like I could come with like eleven skeletons and is that really going to be that op? Like no, it's, it's going to help me win some scenarios because I just got board presence right. But like those skeletons hit like a wet noodle and they die like a sheet of paper, right? <laughs> so and there's certain but... <laughs> factions that only have one cheap model and it's not that broken. And so right. if you tell them, if you decide to limit like no more than five of the same model, it's like all of a sudden I can't make a functional, mm-hmm. you know, um, list with like corn demons, right? The, the bloodletters are the only cheap, model yeah, in that right. force so if you tell me i can only have three bloodletters or only five bloodletters it's going to be kind of hard to put something functional together yeah um, for sure. five would probably be fine but three i think would be like you know totally kneecapping yeah definitely definitely so as a, if you were organizing a tournament um wh- what would you do would you do three rounds would you do four rounds well that's the cool thing about oh you mean as far as uh the missions themselves i would yep. try to um so I've actually thought about this. I would start, the first mission would be a three round one and I would pick one of the deployments where um, only one group starts. So for people who don't know, you play Warcry where you split your force into three three groups and then the cards tell you where the groups start on the battlefield. And, and so when I would, sometimes, right? And when sometimes, yes, yep. exactly. And so that's why I would start it with one where only one of your groups is on the field for the first round uh-huh. because that makes basically it means that the first round is just a practice round because 
if you screw up with your positioning, well, you only screwed up with a third of your force. The, right. the next two thirds of your force are going to come on in a balanced way compared to your opponent, and you're going to be able to, you know, try again. Um, so I would make the first round be a three round match, or the, sorry, the first game be a three round match mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, as few models as possible on the table to start. And that would kind of get people rolling into it. And then uh, later on, I think I would lean on more of the four-round missions than the three-round ones, uh, yeah. just because I do find I think that those are a little bit more fair towards the slower warbands. Um, yeah. Sometimes with like Iron Jaws, they move three inches. You can find <laughs> that you've lost before you even started. Sometimes with right, Iron Jaws. right. Like uh, I gotta huff it over to that objective. <laughs> yeah. You know, or it's like it's like a taken taken hold kind of thing. Uh, not yep. hold, but a taken. Um, you know, you hold it until that person's killed. Well, like, you send in a, pro- a Stormcast Prosecutor that can move, like, 10 inches. He's like, yoink! And then he's, like, yep. off in the corner where you're, like, never see him again. You know? <laughs> you're like, okay, yeah, well, exactly. that's fun for the Ard Boys, you know? Yeah, so, like, with Iron Jaws, a lot of the time you'll find yourself, the first two rounds, your opponent just, like, completely blows you out in terms of points and then in the third round you're sort of fighting back and then if there was a fourth round you'd get to blow them out and you'd be able to sort of try to catch up and so it would all be Mm -hmm. about you know how early can you start it but with a three round match you just don't have time to do it um the clock just isn't on your side so i think i would lean for those so for the um for the tournament what kind of balance would you strike between like a take and hold, kind of like the you know guard the totems mission, yep. a uh, take and uh, keep mission, which is like you know grab the sandbag and run away kind of thing, or the hunter or killer a missions, hunter killer missions, yeah. yeah. Like what kind of balance would you would you do one of each? Would you do you prefer some over in in a tournament so setting? I would do the fewest of the treasure missions for exactly the reason you said. 10-inch mm-hmm. flyers are so good in treasure missions that mm-hmm. if one if one team has a dragon, which is what I call the the prosecutors, the 10-inch flyers yeah. that also do respectable damage, yeah. um, if one team has a dragon and the other doesn't, uh, the team with the dragon automatically wins all of the treasure missions. So I would yeah. actually, if it was like a 9-round a tournament, I'd probably include one of them, but I think that would be it. Or like you know, even six round tournament, I might yeah. include one of them. But otherwise, I would split it fifty fifty between, um, you know, the the take and and stand objective missions and yep. the hunter killer missions. I think um, really different warbands are good at the objective missions and the hunter killer missions, and I think that that kind of adds a lot of interest to the game. Um, and then Red Harvest has some cool twists on the take and stand ones, nice. where like for the most part, and this is why pets are broken, is they insta-win some of the taken and stand missions where you yeah. they just overwhelm you on the objective. There's one in Red Harvest where uh, you win on objectives the traditional way, so, you know, flood them. But then every time a unit on an objective kills another unit on an objective, that person gets a point. So if they beat you on the objective, but you take out one of their models, uh, you're you actually tied on that objective. Oh, that's interesting. So that lets um, some of the less numerous but tougher warbands actually kind of to even the score. So I would try one of those, too. But um, for the most part, I think I'd split it half hunter-killer, half 
uh, objective and then maybe just one treasure mission. I there. think I saw one time uh, where it was a um, take and hold mission, right? And uh-huh. But they expanded the area that you could control it to six inches instead of instead three. Instead of three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was... Awesome. I mean, like it. I mean, there was like an epic battle happening within that six-inch circle, right? Because like you're trying to get your guys in, and so you had more room to fit your warband in there. Yep. And then like they're so close that they had to swing at each other, you know. And it's so, better for the slower warbands too because yep. they don't have to run as far to get there. Yeah, yeah. Big difference. Big difference. Okay. Last question about tournaments. Um, would you put a time limit on there? I think I would. Um, man, AOS tournaments, it's like a three-hour round time limit. Yeah, two and a half hours. Yeah, two and a half hours. There we go. Um, I think you can get a Warcry game in in an hour. Uh, yeah. I might do it an hour and 10, maybe an hour and 15, just mm-hmm. to give people a little bit more time. But yeah, I think one of the cool things about Warcry is, like, and skirmish games in general, this isn't just Warcry, but you can actually get a legit champion out of a large tournament whereas yeah. you know in in 40k and age of sigmar you'll have a 200 300 person tournament um yeah 40k a couple people and yeah a couple people went 5-0 right in their but, thing but and... which of them is the true champion you can't yeah. really say um yeah but once you can get to like we're gonna play five rounds on saturday and four rounds on sunday well at the end of nine rounds even with a thousand people, you know who the champion is. Yep. Um, yep. Whereas, you know, that would be, that wouldn't be the case with five rounds, you know, yeah, uh, the definitely. way uh, the powers of two really, you know, once you get into those exponents, every round does a whole lot more for uh, separating people than the round before it did. Definitely. Especially with the Swiss pairings, right? Where yep. the winners play the winners, winners play the winners. Yep. So yeah, that uh, really really eliminates it down. So yeah, very but good. because of the casual nature of it, I still think I'd give people a little bit more time, just because you know Warcry being a smaller game, it's like yeah. this is this is here to be a party. This is here for the people who love this game. Most of them love it for narrative reasons. Uh, tournaments tournament structures are only vaguely narrative because that's just how tournaments and events work. But like, yep. we're all, we're all people who love the narrative game and we're here to be competitive for a weekend. Um, yeah. But, but still like, let's make it, let's make it easy. Let's make it casual. Let's make it fun. Very good. Very good. Well, I think we're coming up to about our time uh, for tonight. I, I still have so many questions for you about like, you know, what are your favorite war bands that you play? Like what are, what are some of the interesting combos that you found? But I think we're just going to have to save that for another show. Yeah. would love to. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe if you guys decide you are going to go to Nova or if you can get to Adepticon and there's a war cry thing there, maybe we can talk about it. as like prepping for the tournament. Something oh, that'd like be that. awesome. Yeah, yeah that would that. be great. That'd be great. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on our show. We loved having you on here. Do you fit in like a natural? Fit in like a natural. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was great having you, Dan. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. You bet. <laughs> well, thanks to everybody who uh, listened. Uh, hope you got a little bit out of this and uh, enjoy Warcry as much as we do. Uh, if you don't have it, check out the new Red Harvest game or even the original starter box if you can find it. Um, There's just so much fun to be had with uh, Warcry. Again, everybody, thanks for listening. Hit the like and subscribe button and, uh, you know, tell your friends about us. So thank you very much. Have a great night, everybody.